Welcome back to the Down to Earth podcast. We all strive for inner peace and peace of mind, but attaining and maintaining it often requires several factors. Tremendous research is being done on the potential benefits of psychedelics on alleviating many symptoms associated with mental illness, as well as physiological benefits. Our guest today is Rabbi Harry Rosenberg. Rabbi Harry is the founder of Partners in Israel and Trippy VC. As a teenager, Harry had a vivid vision about returning to Israel and owning a piece of the Holy Land. Harry's journey was met with numerous mystical miracles, including partnerships with tribal leaders from Afghanistan and Ethiopia. After years of countless setbacks, Harry finally fulfilled his dream of purchasing land in Israel. He is also a major advocate for mental health and psychedelics and founded Trippy VC, an amazing platform that is building solutions for the betterment of human consciousness. They have acquired several properties around the world where their community can gather and benefit from community and the exploration of plant medicine. In this episode, Rabbi Harry shares a lot of spiritual guidance with us, advice for entrepreneurs and individuals who may need some words of encouragement right now, the power of persistence and patience, the healing benefits of plant medicine and psychedelics, and how to achieve inner peace. This is an episode you don't want to miss. Here we go. Welcome to the Down to Earth Podcast. We're your hosts, sibling duo, Jonathan and Lorena. In this podcast, we'll be spilling the tea on all things health and wellness related. This podcast is designed to motivate you to take care of your physical, mental, and spiritual health. We'll be bringing on doctors, healers, fitness experts, business leaders, and innovators. Thanks for joining us in our mission of making the world a healthier, happier, and a more down-to-earth place. Here we go. Hey, Rabbi Harry, how are you today? I'm feeling very grateful. Thank you for asking me. How are you? Doing well. I'm also feeling very grateful to have you on here today. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a very long time now. Likewise. Thank you. Wonderful. Well, I would like to get started by learning a little bit more about your background. I know that you've had quite a journey that's led you to where you are today, so I'd love to hear all about it. Um, Sure. I appreciate that. I, I would just have considered myself a regular American born in Queens, New York, I like to say macaroni and cheese and chicken nuggets, just the regular American activities that we were supposed to be doing as per schedule. And yeah, I grew up in a non-religious home, I guess like a secular home. There was no real like religious identity. It was just live our best life and enjoy reality. And something happened to me a little bit later on in my life where I started to explore my ancestral roots and due to spiritual experiences that I had. And then that's how I ended up getting a beard and moving to Israel in a nutshell, and spending many years studying uh, the writings of my ancestors and Torah and trying to take all the ancient information that I could from our ancestors to see how we could apply it today to change the situation of the world for the better. Very interesting. Now, I'm curious, when you started to make those lifestyle changes and connect more deeply with Judaism and with spirituality, were you like full steam ahead? Or did you sort of have moments where you'd go back to your old type of life and sort of flip flop between the two before you went on this path? I definitely went full steam ahead. I look back at like the Facebook messages I was sending from 2006 when this happened to all these different girls and friends being like, guys, I'm out. Like no more, no more Netflix and hanging out. None of that. I'm out. (laughs) Totally gone. I don't even know if Netflix was around then. But and then once I did that, obviously, there's ups and downs in the journey. Yeah. But it's kind of like war. You know, if there's a soldier who gets injured in war, and then he like leaves the ranks and like abandons the army, like for history of humanity, he could be liable to jail or death penalty. But when that soldier gets back to the war, he gets like a standing ovation and medals of honor and all that. So I signed up for a system of like super training that doesn't allow you to back out or pull out of it. You're in forever. And so you'll have your ups and downs, but the most important thing is staying strong and getting right back up. That's a good way to look at it. I like that analogy. And I'm curious because you made such a drastic lifestyle change. What were like your biggest revelations that you realized once you started to live this way that you then realized you missed out on like in your previous chapter? Like, were there any moments where you were like, wow, like this is incredible? Well, yeah, two things. First, I was really grateful for my previous chapter because it allows me to be proficient at the language of the exile, you know, of American and the 
a good mastery of the slang so I can relate to the common human in America, which is really like important, I think, to be able to connect to people. Going to public school and being in classes with kids from all different nationalities in Queens, which is a melting pot, really led to me being able to dissolve boundaries later on in my life when I did go into an insular community. So I was really, um, I think those were all good things that happened to me. The only thing I'm like, wow, it was crazy that my parents forced me to go to Hebrew school as a kid to like learn like Moses, Alephbet after my public school like, twice a week. And I, I absolutely hated it. You know, I swore to my parents I would never send my kids to such a place. And why would they do such a cruel thing to me? But then later on in my college years, when I started reading the writings of my ancestors, like 2000 year old documents, I'm like, wait a minute, I know this language. Like I couldn't believe it. It was already in my brain. So I was just like, I went, dove right in. I didn't have to start from scratch. So I was like very grateful for that. That's really interesting. And there's one thing from like diving into your religion and your ancestors, and there's another to become a rabbi. So was there a point or a revelation at some point where you were like, that's the path that I want to go on? Yeah. I mean, I come from a line of uh, rabbis, of sages. And I think, you know, nowadays to be a rabbi is really just to be a good test taker. It doesn't really measure your personality or what type of individual you are, your character. And so I was studying for so many years. I was like, I may as well, you know, take the test to become a rabbi. But once that does happen, it's interesting because then I could say who gave me titled rabbi and who gave it to him and to him, to him, all the way back to Moses for 3000 something years without missing a generation. And each individual on this chain has their own Wikipedia page and what they contributed to society, you know, in the year 500, 700, 1200. 1800 all the way to me. So I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. It's kind of like a blockchain that I became a part of because I became proficient in uh, its information. Very interesting. That's incredible. And I commend you on all the work that you've been doing. Question for you. So when it comes to figuring out your life path, I think a lot of people nowadays struggle with like mental health and confusion because they lack purpose. And we live in such a fast paced society and we're all surrounded by so much noise that you know, it's sometimes hard to really figure out your path and figure out what you actually want to do rather than what you sort of are being molded to want to do. So what are your tips for people that might struggle with figuring out their life path? Like what are signs that God is showing us and, and what are things that we should sort of pay attention to when making a big life decision? I think really people need to look inside themselves a little bit more. People are looking to see what this decision, what people will think of them or what though, how they're really perceived and what content they're consuming that forms their opinion on what success is or what failure is. They have to put pause on all that external noise and look inside themselves and be like, what do I like to do to chill? Like, what do I enjoy doing in this world? What gets me happy? You know, and then really build your lifestyle around that, you know, make a startup around that or join an industry around where you could be involved in a passion. If someone doesn't know what they like to do and they're just miserable and depressed on a couch all day, numb in pain, which is very common today, they got to go out to nature and heal a little bit. You know, you got to detox, you got to get healthy, you got to do the breath work, the breath work, you know, the yoga, the medicines, do whatever you have to do. Go inside of your head and figure out what you need in this world to chill and enjoy your time and, and place and focus on that and disregard anything about anyone else's opinion on you or this because if you're stuck in your brain for the next 100 something years anyway. You may as well enjoy the ride. You know, it's like having a, a fancy apartment that you don't even live in or renovate. You live on the streets outside. Like, bro, you have your own place to go inside. Like, we have a very uh, advanced mind. We should, should be able to be comfortable inside of it. And so that's really what it's about. I love that. And I think that's a really important message. And I think it's like, isn't it a part of Jewish law that you're supposed to seek joy every day? So like, even if you're going through challenges and even if you have trials and tribulations, like God wants you to enjoy your life, right? To find some sort of peace and joy in every day. Yes, it's a famous axiom, a teaching in our, from our sages. If do et Hashem b'simcha, you have to serve your God with joy. So it's like our our God is not the type of God who wants us to like upset and, and angry and like beat ourselves up or like look down at other people and get all judged. He's like, just enjoy this whole thing. You know, you're in this beautiful world I made for you. Enjoy the heck out of it. And that's how I want to be served is by you enjoying it. And it's like, it's like your children, like, what type of children do you want? Do you want children that are scared and like this or anything? Or do you want children that are happy? Like, yeah, everyone wants their kids to be the happiest kids in the world. So if it's not possible that we want for our kids more than God wants for us. So it must be that God wants us to be uh, joyful. And joy comes before a lot of things. You have, if you're suffering mental health and 
you're trying to like serve God and it's hard and you're suffering, like tone it down a second. Like God wants you before you even like start serving him better, figure out how you can get happy in this world. That That's really important. So that's really, you know, people just have to realize that there's a loving creator universe loves us all very much. And I, I think the decisions, I think a lot of the decisions that we make oftentimes are very fear-based and instead having that faith in God, that just following your intuition, but knowing that God is there protecting you and guiding you makes it easier to make up those decisions. Yes. When you actually believe that it, it's all good and that everything is all good, a lot of the mental health issues that come up from the should haves could haves and would haves which is like one of the three biggest plagues that are plaguing people today, when you're looping in your head, I should have done that, I could have done that, I would have done that. But if you believe that everything that happened was for the good and that everything that will come is for the good, then it's all good. You can leave yourself alone and not beat yourself up about some of these things that uh, usually people loop, loop in their head on things they can't even change or affect. They're just making their life miserable. You're totally right. And I mean, that's something that I think most people probably struggle with. I think that there's different levels of emunah. And obviously the goal is to get to the point where like you fully believe that everything is happening for your benefit, for the world's benefit. And you know, that's the way that things are. But for people out there who might be going through challenges that, you know, currently might seem like these massive challenges that they don't really see the light at the end of the tunnel. How do you stay optimistic through those times while still acknowledging that it is a challenge and you probably are going to have to find some solutions to get through that challenge while still having faith that it's happening for you and not to you. Right. I mean, listen, it's got to be an angle of it, of just saying, surrendering yourself to something greater than you at a certain point, you know, people shouldn't feel alone, no matter how much debt you're in or how, how many people have abused you or whatever has happened to you. You're still not alone in this world. There is still a creator and your inside, your soul is carved from the creator itself. So you can return to yourself. You can return to that creator state consciousness very easily and say, you know what? If I succeed, that's amazing. But if I fail, I don't care anymore. You got to let go. You can't be so emotionally attached to this world where you beat yourself up. There's always going to be a way you can find a couch and a meal in America. Always have a roof over your head. And if you have to fail and start from scratch 10 times over, it's all good. You're still present. You're still here. So it's just that that long battle of, of, of keeping that God consciousness in your mind. Like there is a creator of the universe. He does love me. And if I stay like connected to this reality, my life may improve because I'm not alone anymore. And you're not, you know, you don't feel like you're, most of it's self-fulfilling prophecy. When people feel alone, they give up, they stop trying. But if you have that light at the end of the tunnel, like you said, there's a carrot before your horse, you succeed. And that's why they say like 90 something percent of startups fail. It's not because they had bad ideas or because they ran out of money or whatnot. It was most of the time because they didn't have resilience. They didn't have that nonstop, I'm never going to give up attitude. And those are the ones that succeed because they overcome all the trials and they pivot when they have to pivot. And I think yeah. a lot of that also goes back to gratitude because it's, easy to look at what you want or what you, if you're an ambitious or motivated individual, it's easy to be like, well, I don't have this yet, or I don't have this, but instead focusing on what you do have and the gratitude for that, I think you're able to approach these situations in a different perspective and have more faith in what's to come. Yeah, for sure. Just even being alive is a mind blowing situation. Like how, how is it possible where in this, in this situation on this earth at this year, at this time, it's just it's an incredible phenomenon that we have consciousness right now. And that alone, that we're present in the playing field of reality should be very exciting just to us for a starting point. Absolutely. And I like that you just mentioned the startup situation, right? That 90% of startups fail because they give up along the way and no business, no life experience is just up, right? There's always going to be up and down. So riding through that is difficult. So how do you think people could find that resiliency, right? Like even if everything seems to be up against you, and you don't really know how to push through, like how can people dig a little bit deeper within to, to find that resilience and to keep going? Well, I found the secret sauce was to be emotionally detaching from outcomes. So I'm going to try and I'm going to keep trying, but I don't care what happens. If it fails or if it crashes, if something goes wrong, I'm not going to be phased because all I'm worrying about is a continuous efforts. So there's things still in my life, you know, I'm 12 years in trying certain things to get, you know, to get off the ground, certain visions or ideas, like 12 years in of ups and downs and crashes. doesn't matter because every point is just like, keep going and something will eventually happening, uh, happen. But I think when people feel failure and they beat themselves up, they don't 
they don't want to deal with that again. Like they're scared to fail. They're scared to, and I'm like, no, 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 you can't, you care too much. I always have to call people out. I'm like, Hey, listen, you're, you're caring a little bit too much about reality right now. So that's really what it comes down to. I think a lot of it also comes back to patience. I think we live in a world where we're so used to that instant gratification, especially with social media or even Amazon getting something the next day, but knowing that you're, let's say you're building a business or you're doing a diet change or exercising, like it's that patience and that faith that you know that what you're doing is leading you to the right path. And eventually with that persistence, you'll get to that result. Um, Yeah, that's true. But also it's really, really important. You got to enjoy the ride. Like you have to enjoy the ride. If you don't enjoy the ride, it'd be torture. So it's really important that it doesn't matter what happens because you're having a good time either way. And that's much easier. I, I, I think I have an edge on, on this because I grew up a fisherman. I, I had since quit fishing. I haven't fished in many years, but just sitting out on a lake for hours waiting for something really, it slows your animal claws down to keep moving and gets instant gratification. Yeah, no, I'm sure that definitely uh, builds some good character from a young age, right? Yeah, being alone in nature with the birds chirping and eagles and, and the fish and the turtles, it's good for mental health. A hundred percent. Well, it seems like you have a really great mindset towards life, towards business, towards so many things. So I'm curious, what are some daily practices of yours that help you, you know, get your mind and and body ready for the day and keep yourself in like a very reflective mindset where you're able to really seek value from all the experiences that you have? So I don't live it. It's not each day. I do it like weekly. So I have like a weekly cycle. Okay. So it starts for me on Shabbat. And on Shabbat, there's like a teaching that we say, Whoever takes care of the needs of the congregation of the community, the creator of the universe basically pays your salary. Like you're hooked up, you're set. Call it a karma loop or whatever. So the first thing I try to always make sure is on Shabbat in my community, we have what's called like a big kiddush, you know, where in the afternoon, everyone comes to the park. And we bring bottles and stew and crackers and dips and like candy for the kids. And it's like a hundred people out in a beautiful park enjoying the best, the best enjoyment you could ever imagine. All that happiness and all these people. And I can't, I don't put, I can't put words to it. So that's like, that's my highlight of the week is that little gathering that supercharges me. It's so much good energy. And then I'm just like a pinball machine. I ride that good mood right through the whole week. So I don't have to worry about Tuesday afternoon, like Tuesday morning. Like how am I? I'm like, I'm still like three days ago, like flying from that whole situation at such a good time. And then each day I just try to make sure I could uh, take care of my responsibilities and earn my chill, like do what I have to do so I can enjoy my time and space wherever I like to enjoy my time and space, whether it's playing chess or painting or whatever I like to do. Let's make sure I earned it. You know, did I do every, all my responsibilities today? Then just enjoy your day. Figure out what you want to do to enjoy your life. Yeah, that sounds like a great schedule to have. I mean, Shabbat in general, I think like regardless of people's backgrounds or religion, just like having a day of rest is so important, right? What I love about Judaism is so many of the laws are just so practical and like you just, even at face value, like you really see why God made things the way that that God did, right? And like Shabbat, a full day of rest, I think for most people is just so recharging and it really does help set your your week up for, for success. Yeah. Can you imagine not charging a cell phone and just thinking it's going to keep going? So the cell phone needs to get charged. Things need to get charged. Shabbat is the 24 hours where we charge, where we like, we are our soul again. You know, we forget we're a soul. We're actually two things. We're a soul and a body mushed into one situation. And if we're going to be seven days a week, our body, what do I want to eat? What do I want to go? That's like all body stuff. Your soul is going to become a non-relevant part of your reality. And then that's very like, that's very sad. That's where your chill is. That's where your enjoyment really comes from, is from your soul. So you got to like, just let your soul relax and come out for and shut down your body. You know, I'm not going here. I'm not going there. I'm not cooking. I'm not doing it. I'm just going to sit and have a good time. Yeah. It really is an amazing day of the week. I look forward to Shabbat every week. And again, I don't follow it fully. Right. I mean, I do like I, I go to shul and, you know, a lot of the principles of Shabbat I do put into practice, but there's still some tasks that I perform, but I do look forward hopefully one day to being able to, uh, to follow it more closely. Listen, there's levels to the game. And the most important thing people have to realize in this generation is whatever they're doing for Shabbat at whatever level they're on, God is loving them more than being angry at them for whatever yeah. situation they're in. So like, you're good, you're doing your thing. And that's amazing. And our Kiddush in Jerusalem, our little thing is for, it's non-denominational. So 
all different types of religious, non-religious. It's not tied to a congregation. It's just like a general chill. And Jews can come, non-Jews can come. But since we live in Israel now, and these people came from all four corners of the world, we have French guys and Asian guys, you know, guys from Africa and South America and Alaska. We're all just, we're back all together and it's in such, so much harmony. So it's a beautiful thing. And I think community is just so important in general. I always look at like the blue zones or areas in the world where people live the longest. And the most common thing that all these areas have is they all had a sense of community and purpose. Yeah, I think I read once that the brain is like a social organism. It needs to be around other brains to be stimulated. Otherwise, it goes into like auto-depressed mode. Yeah, absolutely. Now, we spoke a lot about Judaism. So I'm curious where psychedelics came into play for you and how that ties back to the Torah, because I think that's really fascinating. Yeah, amazing. So my, you know, I grew up in a family that was very peace and love. You know, my mother was at Woodstock 1969. I was at Woodstock 1994 as a little kid. And so, you know, they were hardworking. My mother and my father had an eyeglass store in Manhattan. So they were, you know, hardworking people, but they were raised in an environment where it was love and kindness. So that gave me a disposition towards listening to things like the Grateful Dead as a child and other things. And when you grow up listening to the Grateful Dead, you eventually go to the concerts and the festivals. And then when you're at the festivals, obviously you're going to get exposed to every single plant in the world that people are consuming. And you're responsible and your friends in high school, you, you dibble dabble and experiment and you start to have ego dissolution at a young age and start to really think deep and have a meaningful experiences. I think by chance that's ha- that happened to me. And uh, it was all fun and games, going to concerts and festivals, going to work, living the best Manhattan life you could live, and you know, trying to make a lot of money. And then just uh, one time, something happened where we had uh, these plants, and I had that spiritual experience where I had to shave my beard since. And and it gets gets you from left field, like a left hook punch from the universe, where you have that calling inside of your head to say, "There's something way more than what we're doing here in Manhattan with these parties." got to tap into that and that's that's what happened to me i don't know 17 years ago or something and then i was like okay then i joined like tour side of the world and i'm studying tour and all this and that but i'm seeing so many miserable people around me like so many people suffering in their minds i'm like if you guys know there's some plans that'll actually help you alleviate the pain that you're going through some of these people are you know trying to kill themselves and they're addicted to alcohol and drugs that are deadly so it's like it's a matter of life and death for some of these people in my community that they get they're like go and take responsibility to go to places where it's legal and go to these facilities and do the healing work. So, you know, I've been promoting this in the, in the, in the Jewish community for, you know, 10, 15 years that people should have the right to heal and sometimes need to. And then in my studies, I just noticed some elephants in the room that were just glaring evidence that the ancient people of Israel were intimately tied to plant knowledge and the inhalation of plants to do certain rectifications spiritually. I was like, all right, we got to press pause and just see what's going on. I spent many years studying the ancient texts to eventually come up with a theory that I published on the intersection between psychoactive chemicals and specific parts of the brain of human and ancient Israelite worship and ancient Egyptian and ancient uh, Mayan worship that are all coming from the same ancient legend about a place in our brain that was one time filled with light. And we've been in a place of darkness since. That's incredible. And I really impressed that you were able to really find those connections in ancient texts. And I mean, if you really think about it, right, God put everything on this earth that we need to like nourish and heal ourselves. So, you know, a lot of these plants, they're, they're just that they're plants, right? So they definitely have purpose of some sort. And it's up to us to figure out what that purpose is. Um, yeah, I mean, there's literal locks inside of our brain and keys scattered throughout these plants on the earth. And, and anytime you see a lock and a key, you know, there was an intelligent designer that had a purpose that they should interact somehow. But beyond all that, I don't believe taking psychedelics is the path towards the exclusive path towards enlightenment, because the same chemicals that are found in the psychedelics are also endogenously found inside of our body and our brain, like the DMT chemical, very psycho, psychoactive chemical we have naturally flowing inside of us. I think just as humans, we've lost the way of how to organically turn that on so we can go into a state of deep meditation naturally for extended periods of time in the psychedelic state without needing to take it from the earth. That was, I think, the original plan for the human body. Now, for people who want to 
potentially tackle that challenge? What are some ways to, to really connect with that flow naturally before starting to, to work with plant medicine? Is it possible or with the world we live in and all the distraction, it's not possible? Really, first of all, there's just layers to that question because for certain people who are suffering, like real bad suffering, well, don't take the long road. Just, you know, it's like, don't be like the hero who wants to use dial-up internet. There's Wi-Fi out there today, you know, it's just like, go go get some healing so you can at least be safe and enjoy your time. But if you're like good and you're, you're just looking for more and you don't know what's, you know, and you're, you're just okay, I would highly recommend obviously having a healthy diet, you know, getting fluoride and and, you know, aspartame and certain chemicals out of your diet, so you can eat well, so your body could be healthy and do the breath work, the Wim Hof breathing and stuff. Um, if you breathe right, yeah, if you breathe right, you can go to deep states of relaxation where you can get in touch with the inner voice in your head and find clarity. Most people are not breathing right, which is letting the brain feel like it's in a state of danger and it's not allowing them to secrete chemicals that would normally relax them. So they're more in fight or flight because of just simply how the way they're breathing. And that's uh, why the exile of Egypt was described as Katser Ruach. We were short of breath when we were slaves in Egypt. We weren't breathing right. So today we're slaves in America. We're just like hustling. We wake up like, oh my God, this pressure. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know? Like, no, you know what? Sit down, breathe a little bit, take that deep breath in, slow it down, go inside yourself. You don't need to get higher trip face to find peace inside your brain. Just eat right, be a good person, and breathe right, and live your life humble on this planet. Oh, it's all good. You don't have to do anything too crazy. I like that you mentioned that because I think a lot of times we think of like, what can I take to feel better? What can I keep consuming? But a lot of the times it's like, what can you just remove and just removing those obstacles to cure and just going back to the really simplistic, basic principles. Exactly. Eat as much whole foods as you can. Things that are processed with all these syrups and they're just messing with your chill. They're not allowing you to experience yourself as much of causing you to be short tempered and have health issues, your, your body goes into shock it's it's like people who um have fancy cars and they go to the gas station and there's two options you get regular gas or like blueberry flavored gas but it breaks your car he's like you know i want the blueberry flavor gas so people could think i smell good you know i want to smell good like bro it's all good but it's gonna break your bmw he's like nah you know it's all good i want to smell good it's like come on you know so it's like don't do that to your body also like why do we have to have flavored things because it makes me feel like, bro, you're killing your body with this little flavor situation over here. Just get some filter pH, you know, water and, get, and call it a day. Maybe a little apple juice and orange juice here and there, you know, what? Uh, got to cut out the sodas and the corn syrups just messing with our chills. So if someone's serious about healing and serious about feeling good in their brain, they at least have to make those minimal efforts to cut out poisons that they're putting in their bodies to show that they're like at least doing something to um, activate the more spiritual side of their insides. I agree. And that's also taking responsibility upon yourself. And even in connection to God, like showing to God that you want to take care of yourself and then he can help guide you, but not solely relying on him. Yeah, for sure. It's like, if I let you borrow my car and like, I see you take good care of it, I'll keep letting you borrow it. If you're just so reckless with it and you're going to bang it up, I'd be like, I don't know if I could trust you with this fancy car anymore. So like we were gifted this body to be on this planet and uh, we should really cherish that and take the best care of it as we can. It doesn't mean don't cheat and have some wine when no one's looking and enjoy yourself and chill. That's all good, but just consider yourself a temple. Treat it well. 100%. It's super important what we consume. And it's also one of the, the few things that we could control, right? I mean, we're surrounded by so many factors we can't control, but what we consume is usually within our control. So definitely important to, to take full responsibility for that. Yeah. I felt that was like the easiest thing. Just like to do things in your control, like you don't have to wait online anywhere, like get any approvals from any banks or needing like an investor to do it. It's just like, you got this. It's all you. Exactly. Um, exactly. Very true. Now for people who do already, you know, take care of their health or at least do their best too, but they want to connect more spiritually or they feel like they have past trauma to overcome or just some mental blocks that they want to push through. Where's a good place to start with psychedelics? Because I think that there's a lot of great things happening in today's world where psychedelics are becoming more widely spoken about in mainstream. And that stigma is, is slowly being taken away from it, which I think is great. But with like the world that we live in where information spreads so quickly, there's probably a lot of confusion as well for people who haven't had any experience with psychedelics as of yet. So where's the best place to start? What would be your recommendations for people who are new to this? Yeah, it's a very loaded question, a little tricky. I would suggest the safest route for people who want to get into the field, which I don't know how they, they, it's classified as a psychedelic. I guess it is. And it has the effects of it, but ketamine 
which is not from the earth, it's, but it re re reflects or resembles the chemical structure or the part of the, the brain that the DMT taps into. And it helps people heal and alleviates and it's legal. And you could take it with antidepressants and a doctor could prescribe it. So that's like someone just wants to be safe and like not go into jungles in South America or whatever. Just you go to like a local ketamine clinic in your city and get healed. And they even ship it to your door in America now as a company, Better You Care. There's a few companies that they'll ship the ketamine to your house and you can heal by yourself with the approval of a doctor. But if someone's looking for like an ancient spiritual experience, not just to heal from some trauma and is looking for that soul wisdom and they want to eat some mushrooms or whatever, there are places around the world where it's decriminalized and legal. Like I know in Toronto, they I think they opened up a dispensary in certain places in California, decriminalized. You got to go somewhere where it's like happening, but you have to find like a really good recommended guide. It's not something you want to do by yourself unless you're really experienced. And it's not something you want to do with people you don't know or don't trust very well or didn't get recommended to trust really well because you become very vulnerable in that space. And even if you trusted him beforehand, in the middle of the whole experience, you could think you're being kidnapped by someone you don't know. You know, it's like it all has to be good vibes and a lot of trust. And then you have to feel very safe, which is not really so accessible now to just a regular person. That's why ketamine is also safe. But there are like if you want to schlep to South America, real good healing resorts that have, you know, Google ratings and you can see the five stars and these guys are the best, you know, so um, very expensive, you know, some of these are five to $7,000 multi-day trips, but every city will have underground shamans also, you know, for a hundred dollars to $200 or whatever, someone will sit with you and help you get access to these medicines just has to come very highly recommended from someone who know did it, that you trust. And, you know, everyone should have their, you know, the best thing is, is something like, you shouldn't have to do too much effort because if you really want to heal for most people, like it comes to you, opportunities will manifest and just keep it in your mind that you want to do it and see what comes your way and like go through the doors that open, kind of trust the universe a little. Absolutely. Now, I know you said you found many places in the Torah where psychedelics seem to be referenced. So I'm curious if there's just one or two mentions that you can share with us that you found just really fascinating or interesting. Sure. Well, I mean, there's, there's so much to talk about, but just besides not even like a psychedelic, like a mushroom or a DMT, but the chemical compounds of incense that was burnt and inhaled, myrrh and frankincense, especially, you know, from the works of Danny Nemo, you can look up, he's a British scholar. When these plants are combined, they, and the GABA receptors start getting deactivated and then this neurological pathway opens and you start to go through altered state of consciousness. So just the basic plants of the 11 ingredient incense of the ancient temple of Solomon, when all combined together will show what effects it would have on the brain. And these are what they were inhaling. But even just the fact that the Yom Kippur, the, the most important re uh, religious day of the Jewish world that everyone knows is, is really based around the day where a man stood in a cloud of smoke one day, once a year to rectify uh, an ancient sin, you know, so like, we have to get to the bottom of why standing in a room full, a little room full of smoke for a few minutes, the rectification and like the central point of our whole return to returning to Eden. You know, that was that moment was meant to rectify the sin of Adam and Eve and get us back to Edenic consciousness. So this is, you know, just little glaring points of inhalation and chemicals and plants that are built into ceremony that we have to ask what's really going on. And then when we ask that question, it became very clear what's going on. And that's the theory that uh, I published as a YouTube video about it. And I wrote a manuscript with the sources from the, our ancestors for it. So if anyone goes to my link tree, they can find it. Yeah. And that's fascinating. I mean, all the work that you've uncovered is fascinating, but my question for you is once you started to really get this, this work and all these connections that you found out there, what was the response? Like, did people feel that they were ready to, to have that conversation? Was there some pushback in the beginning? Have you seen a progression over time? Yeah, well, there's two things. One is the response from all sectors of humanity has been positive, simply because I'm not really putting too much of my own opinion into the situation. I'm just really weaving something together that was already taught for thousands of years and combining it with some anthropology and some science onto like one little stew. And the story tells itself. So if someone would read my manuscript and look through it, I would be delighted if they can challenge me or say where there's a fallacy or where there's an error with the theory, but it's really, I'm just a DJ and the information's all out there. I'm just laying it out for you guys. So I haven't really had that much criticism on this because 
it's already 3,000 years too late for it. It already all happened. I don't know what to say. This is just what it is. You know, this is is what they did, you know? Absolutely. Now, as you've mentioned with psychedelics, I'm curious if in any of your experiences with any of these chemicals or substances, if you feel like it's brought you closer to God. Uh, Yeah, well, 1,000% because we have a soul inside of us. And our soul is carved from God himself. So we have a piece of God inside of us. So the word entheogen, another word for psychedelic, means like, I guess, like the divinity within, like go within yourself. And if you're going inside yourself and inside yourself is God, guess who you're going to meet? You're going to meet God. And that's why, uh, you know, I'm not saying I met God or that's, you know, I'm, so I'm humble about that whole thing. But that's really, you're, you're meeting your soul and you're getting intimate with your soul and your soul is a piece of God. So just, it's, you'll follow the trail. But that's why also the word pineal, for the pineal gland, where it's the eyeball in the middle of our brain that's responsible for the DMT secretions, it means in Hebrew, pineal, pineal, the face of God. And that's why when Jacob in the Bible has a metaphysical battle with an angel, he names the place of the battle pineal. Ki ra'iti Hashem panim panim, because I saw God face to face. So, you know, there's also legends from the people of Israel that the Garden of Eden was two separate locations. Garden was a geographic place. Eden was a specific place within our brain where pleasure emanates from. So we know that there's a place inside of our brain that connects our soul. And if we go in there, we could have a divine experience. So like anyone, if you knew you had gold or treasure under your floorboard in your house, wouldn't you be curious to go uh, get it assessed and see what you have going on? So everyone should know that they have a soul inside themselves and be very curious about it because it makes you feel wonderful when you get in touch with it. Yeah, that's fascinating. And I mean, just the thought of how many people probably go through life without having that kind of experience, right? So it's really great that you're, you know, shedding a lot of light on this. And so I'm curious, what are some of the biggest benefits that you found from incorporating psychedelics into your life? And then I also know that you do a lot of work with people who are battling depression, and I think even suicide, and you're finding some great benefits that psychedelics are having on their path to healing. So would love to hear about some of the, the biggest benefits that you're seeing through these experiences. I appreciate it. So for me personally, I don't consume psychedelics for many years already, a long, long time, specifically because I found peace already. And, you know, I had my own visions that the work for me is down here. Like I don't, didn't really need to keep going up anymore. I know what we have to do down here already. So I got to be uh, very active. And for other people, like you said, very heavy, serious situations out there where there are people who are actively trying to kill themselves and uh, the intervention of bringing psychedelics into the picture creates an almost immediate alleviation of scariness of like going from code red and a half to like code yellow and like within rapid moments. When you're dealing with people who've been in and out of therapy in homes and kicked out of groups for years, then all of a sudden they'll have this one experience where they're Instead of cutting their arms up and beating themselves up, they'll hug themselves and say, wait a minute, I, w- I want to heal. I want to change. I, I want to be safe. Can you, you know, can you help me? So it's not my job. I'm not the shaman. I'm not a healer. I'm just the job of a rabbi really is to take responsibility for his community and uh, to look after them. The, ra- the job of the rabbi is to, is so, you know, as a rabbi, when you have people dying around you left and right, it's like, guys, go do some healing work. And yeah, I'd probably say like 90 something percent success rate at people making serious life changes that create a, a situation where they're safe again. So it's really important. That's incredible. And I've also heard from friends of mine who have tried psychedelics before. A lot of times the effects that are found from it or the experiences or the visions that come to you during it, they stay with you. It's not like you just experience it in the moment and then it's gone. A lot of the things sometimes do stay with you. Have you found that as well? That it's, you know, sometimes super impactful and, and the benefits are longer term. Yeah, that's like if you have a very clogged sink and then you like pour Drano in it and it unclogs the sink, you'd be like, wait. And a week later, the clog doesn't come back up from the end. It's like, no, it, that's what happens. Like it went, it went away. Like it doesn't come back. So what the psychedelics do is they hyperactivate the frontal part of your, your brain, where your, your neurological network, where you're storing traumas. And all these painful things that happened to you as a child, whether you got embarrassed or felt this or that, and that molds your personality because you're just a grown-up version of your child self to flush some of that away. You could get reborn and be an open-minded person. Yeah, that could stay with you for the rest of your life, just like a clean sink uh, after you know, an oil, oil-like clog or whatever. 
Definitely. Absolutely. I think everyone's trauma or the way that they're molded is very different. So, so how one person responds to like a micro trauma may be very different to how someone else responds. 1000%. There could be one kid who burped in class one day and everyone laughed and looked at him and still till today, he's got some issues, you know, or there could be a kid who was, you know, beaten by his parents and became really tough and strong and didn't care and doesn't show it. But deep down inside needs a hug and wants to cry, you know, and is holding on to pain. It's all different levels. Absolutely. Now I do have one question about ayahuasca because that's the one plant medicine that I've just been always really attracted to. So I'm just curious, any like experience that you've had with it or other people that you know have had experiences with it? Um, sure. Well, ayahuasca basically is uh, the main chemical, the DMT chemical, but instead of smoking it, they would mix it with this root and then it lasts for like six hours and you ingest it. The fact that they figured out which plants to mix to create that, that, you know, all those years ago is still unknown to science today, how they would end up figuring that out. Well, I found it interesting is ayahuasca, that main chemical is still the same chemical that seems to be the focus of ancient Egypt and the ancient people of Israel. So it's because if you look at the, the DMT of the ayahuasca, it's actually commonly found in the acacia tree, which is what the Israelites brought into Egypt with them and left with them this tree. And the ancient Egyptians say their gods, Horus and Osiris, were born from the acacia tree. So the gods of ancient Egypt come from this DMT-containing tree. The Israelites show up to Egypt with this tree, leave with this tree, make, you know, coals and sacrificial items for this with this tree. And now you look at across the world, the Mayans and the jungles are using the same exact chemical to get to their spiritual experiences. So it looks like it's all the same pursuit to get to the inside of our minds and inner peace. And just the difference between the Israelites and other cultures is for thousands of years, these have become like more like cultish where they would build God, men and, and spiritual castes of hierarchy around access to it. And so that has to like get open sourced. But yeah, ayahuasca is just a very healing thing. I know people who have been trying to get off of uh, opiates and it's very deadly to get off. You could die from withdrawal symptoms. Um, go for one ayahuasca session and then come out without needing opium and don't have to withdraw and aren't smelling it. And, you know, they can go clean. So that'll save a life and people, you know, so yeah, uh, it's just a good place to, to go and uh, heal. It's not so, ayahuasca is not so user-friendly because there are parts of it where you do get nauseous and you may purge a little bit, which really is scary for people and it's intimidating. I don't think it's such a big deal, but there are other things out there, you know, like the mushrooms and the DMT that are still placed legally where you could do it, where it's much more, easier on your body and much more on your mind but really you have to speak to a professional healer to be like what's your trip like what's your issue like what are you looking for in life like how much pain versus not pain what are your addictions like what's going on in your brain and then they make a proper recommendation of like what plant protocols may be best fit for what you're dealing with at this moment and i'm glad that you said that because i feel like anything else it's individualized right so like something will become really popular and spoken about. So people automatically assume like, that's the thing that I need. But there are, like you mentioned, a lot of different types of psychedelics that could be the right solution for different people. So just like anything else, one size does not fit all. 100%. Now, something that I see becoming really popular that I'm just curious to get your thoughts on is microdosing, different psilocybins. What do you think of that? Um, yeah, for places where it's accessible and legal and available, probably the best thing you could do, you know, because- really. Uh, uh, not that I do it, but it's just as people are doing like so many other things. Like people are like, I have my sleeping pills and I have my Xanax and I have my anti this and I got my that. I'm like, your whole regimen of like pills to regulate your mood would be so simply replaced by microdosing. And they could take that whole thing out, bring health and wellness into your life, um, get you strong and, and build yourself up. It's really good for people, you know, get the coffees out of your life, get all these things out of your life. And microdose, and it's not dangerous because it's a non-negligible amount. You don't feel high. You don't get any effect in your brain. It's just working on the subconscious. So for, again, for some, this is always you know where it's safe and legal, and you can get it. You know, I'm not taking responsibility for these things. But if you if, if someone has access to do that, uh, I don't see why not. Good to know. Now I still feel that even though psychedelics are becoming more mainstream, and it is being spoken about more through like a medicinal scientific lens than like a drug lens, right? It's a great thing for society and for the healing aspects of it that could be really beneficial for society. But there are still a lot of misconceptions out there that I think probably a lot of people have who aren't experienced with this whole field. So what are some of the biggest misconceptions that you see and what are your responses to them? 
first thing is like, you know, anytime someone uses the word drug, I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Drug is something made in a laboratory. These are called medicines. These come from the earth. These are medicines, aren't drugs. You know, get your, you have to get your lingo straight. Any opinion people have in it, you have to always look at the source. Like, where did you get that opinion from? You know? And if you look at it, like the war on drugs, which has made all these things illegal in the first place, who is behind it? What, what lobby, what companies were lobbying? What industries were against it? What reasons were they giving? And then it becomes very clear, like this was backed by, you know, pharmaceutical industry, tobacco industry and alcohol industry that really was responsible for the laws and, and the illegality of it. Combined with the fact that the American government at the time of the exploration of these, you know, 1960, guys, didn't really want people to tap out of being a sheep, being in a system. So the information people have to form opinions on it, most of the time is coming from something that came from very biased criminal activity. So it's like roll a lot of that back and just be like, it's not even worth having a discussion to argue or prove points. Yes or no, if your information came from like the war on drugs. So that's really just, we can't give credit to like criminal organizations, conspiracy theories on something that's been used for thousands of years to heal people. Absolutely. I agree with you. Now, I do wonder, like, do you think people can overdo it on these medicines, even though they are from the earth? Do you think there are people who just use it way too frequently? Yeah, of course. Because you look at people who are like still 56 years old from that Grateful Dead tour, eating mushrooms on the weekend, like a bomb, can't afford food. They got teeth rotting teeth uh, you know their hygiene's bad they're out of shape and it's how come he didn't magically heal like he was eating mushrooms his whole life where's his enlightenment but it really comes down to integration if you're not strong enough to take that experience and go into the world with it you're going to keep looping out there so you, yeah you could get caught in the psychedelic journey where you're just going to be tripping and going into loops your whole life and to those individuals i say if you'd enjoy the ride then good for you and if you're enjoying yourself like that with your belly and you don't mind good for you but at the end of the day you have to take these things as boosters to go into this world like down here to conquer it and not a place to hide away and run from this world but like i said unless you want to run from this world because it's a scary world and you're enjoying it and you found a little cabin in colorado woods to do it by all means who am i to stop you yeah again to each their own right as long as you're enjoying the ride, I don't really know about that. If someone's like so upset or hurt, I'm like, I don't know if we need to leave you on your own right now. You need a team of people. Huh? It's like, don't go on your own. I'm like, go on your own if you're enjoying your time. If you're not enjoying your time, you need some human intervention so you can enjoy this earth. That is very true. But do you think that spending a healthy amount of alone time is is healthy? Because I feel like, you know, what we spoke about earlier, we live in such a fast-paced world, constantly surrounded by so much noise that sometimes it might be difficult to get in touch with our intuition and, you know, our pineal gland, right? So like having that alone time and taking away the noise, could that be healing? Or you think that it's more healing to be surrounded by like positive energy more frequently? No, that's why I said like my positive energy charge comes like really once a week for my social gathering with my community. But during the week, for the most part, I enjoy solitude as much as I can get it because I know I get both. It's just for some people, the idea of being alone is terrifying. The idea of being alone in their minds is even more terrifying. You know, there's certain people out there, if you tell them you're going to go in the sensory deprivation tank, this water floating tank where you're by yourself in your mind for an hour, they'll be like, oh, Harry, that's torture. That would be torture for me. It's back to the same analogy of like you have a nice apartment and you're choosing to live on the streets. And by the way, a lot of the homelessness is people who have places to sleep but are choosing the streets on purpose, which is uh, for mental health reasons, drugs, which is an analogy for us not being comfortable inside of our own minds, rather being my phone, escaping, looking here, looking there, going to this concert, this just to get out of your mind. But I have to give everyone a very strong warning. It's all happening inside here. This is like the party. The party is in your mind. That's where you want to be comfortable. That's where you want to be. There's nothing really going on too crazy outside of there. Yeah. Again, a lot of the way that we live, everything that we see is, is our perception. And I think they say the reason why a lot of prisoners have the hardest time in prison is because they're in solitude alone with their thoughts. So, you know, our minds yeah. can be tricky places if not treated correctly. All those prisoners need, they need some like vertical farming gardens and like to grow some healing herbs to really need to give them some soil at least. Yeah, absolutely. Now, do you have like a meditation practice or a mindfulness practice that you have as a part of your routine or, or not as so, as much as the other things that we discussed? 
we're in a whole different situation right now where I think meditation is very healthy and it's good, but I don't actually like press pause too much, like sit and like, so, you know, I do the breath work sometimes, but mm-hmm. I like to say like, you know, King David says, uh, like he's, he's like, I am my prayer, you know? So like, I feel like I just want to be like, I am my meditation. Like I am what I want right now. And so every interaction I have is like, I'm, med- I'm yeah, I'm meditating. I'm consciously engaging and bringing uh, good energy or happiness, whatever it is. I'm just stuck in it. I'm stuck in this whole thing. So I don't know what to tell you. It's, it feels good. I like that. And then for those of us who at times, right, obviously the goal is to have positive energy, to be surrounded by positive energy, but sometimes we're surrounded by people who might not have that positive energy. And especially with all the work you do, I'm sure you're around a lot of people who might be going through challenges and might be in a really negative state of mind. Sometimes being around negativity for too long could start to impact our energy as well. So how could we better protect our energy when we're surrounded by people who, who might be, I call it energy vampires, you know, like people who just suck energy. I have my own terms for it also, but it goes back to the same advice I gave earlier on this episode of being emotionally detached from reality, being like, you, you couldn't mess with me if you tried, because I'm at peace. It's all good. Whatever situation you're in, I can't let it get to me. And, and the terminology I use is, you know, to protect your chill. Like you really have to protect your chill in this world. Your chill is that safe place inside your brain where you feel good. And you have to really build fortresses around it and, and make sure it's protected. And you really should only be going to places that there's good energy and just staying there and cutting all the bad energy out of your life. And the only time you should have bad energy in your life, if it's for the sake of helping that person who's giving the bad energy, you know, so you can't have a business partner who's an equal to you giving you bad energy. That's not going to work for you. That's going to make your life miserable. You got to figure out how to dissolve that company or split it or work it out, like get a severance package, whatever it is can't be around negativity but if you see like someone who's just like always hang every time you're with them like this sticks that sticks i hate this this and then all they do is they're miserable and they complain the whole time it just makes you sick like you get nauseous like you can't be around it for so long so you have to just be like i'm taking one for the team of humanity like like a scuba gear like i'm chilling inside my brain but i'm going down into this level of this person's chaotic reality to see if i can like plant some seeds to help alleviate their suffering So you're going in as like a firefighter, you know, like you're going into dangerous territories to help other people. You can't let them bring that home. Like you got to cut it out, like at your front door. When you walk into that house where you live, it's got to be good energy. Absolutely. And I think it's just like creating those energetic boundaries, however you deem fit, just to like protect your own space. You must. And, you know, you got to protect your chill. You got to make sure people don't claw into your chill. And that's all we have. All we have is that little room inside of our head where we have a little lamp that's on and we have a little couch with a little book and we could read be cozy in there. Can't let anyone take that away from us. Right. Absolutely. Now, tell us a little bit about your hat and what Trippy is. I really appreciate it. When I had that spiritual experience all those years ago, I had a calling to go to Israel and get land. But I didn't really know why or for what. And so I spent many years looking for land in Israel and starting like a whole journey around it. Not enough time now, but through miraculous stories, I was able to secure like a large plot of land in Israel. For about 10 years ago, I have a bunch of people living on it rent-free right now. Goats, horses, chickens, some sheep, some plants, a little healing dome, you know, nothing too crazy. And I really want to build it out. And I had a vision later on, like we should, you know, I had a specific vision, like it should be, has to be like a meeting place between like the person and his soul. Like they should meet each other over there. And to build it out is very expensive. And I didn't want to raise money as a company, a for-profit company to do this build out because what often happens with people and investors and founders is the, the vision of the founder gets swallowed by what's most profitable and the founder gets put aside because other people are partners and they put their money in and they want to make money. So whatever you want to do is not really going to make us money. So you got to, it doesn't happen. I don't want that to happen with something so sacred. So for about 10 years, I didn't do much. I didn't raise money. Obviously, you know, I have a wife and kids, but I can't just spend all my family's money on a healing center for planet Earth. Um, It has to be something bigger than me. And so I just waited. And, you know, a few years ago with the advent of blockchain and Web3, I saw an opportunity in what's called the DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization, which is a type of entity structure that came with the advent of Web3 and cryptocurrency that allows you to have a for-profit company with investors and members, 
but no member, no investor can ever take money out or expect to get paid from it. And their ownership just comes in the form of their vote, like what they want to have happen. And the purpose of the fund is impact. So we started what's called trippy.bc. You can see here on the left. It's a venture capital fund in Web3. And we created an NFT series where if you own an NFT, you own equity within this fund itself. And with that, we raised money to build out our land in Israel for like place where Palestinians and Jews can come together for conflict resolution to heal. And uh, within our DAO, within all these members that started investing and working with us, we picked up a lot of other plots of land. We have land upstate New York now. We have a big house outside Miami and Jamaica and uh, all these different places around the world where some of our investors have open plots of land where they're like, yeah, we can, we can do host healing here also. So it's a fund that's uh, still, you know, we're still just starting. We're launching in the next week or two at Microdose Miami, and we'll see where it goes. And it's the point is to create a large group of humans who pool together our, our resources to make safe places for people to heal without it being about how we make money off of it. That's amazing. I love that. And I think that, you know, what really comes through with that is that you started it with the right intentions, right? You said that you've had this land for 10 years and you really waited for the right moment rather than just like going straight for the business opportunity. You really want to do something meaningful here. And even though it took you a long time, you had the patience to see it through. And it sounds like you really found the right structure for it. And I'm super excited that you have one opening in Miami. That's going to be amazing. Oh, big time. Right now, it's just because ketamine is legal. We have a beautiful place. We're going to be working with some doctors and doing like the legal stuff. But I do know there are places in um, Florida that are considered religious churches that are allowed to do ayahuasca and other psychedelics legally under church status and also Native American tribes. So being a rabbi and a clergy, I'm going to try my best to figure out how to apply and get into such a situation where, you know, as a religious uh, leader, I should be able to assist and uh, use my ancestors, indigenous plants to heal. Absolutely. And I think it's a really great sign. I think society in general is, is trying to get more deeply in touch with nature, right? I mean, do you see that as well? That like a lot of people, especially the younger generations these days, have a lot more interest in nature and, and reconnecting with nature. So I think it's a good sign of things to come. Yeah, I think it's like a Ro- Ro- Romeo and Juliet lovesick story. It's us in nature. We're meant to be intimately connected to each other. And the cities have taken us so far away from our love partner called nature that we're now lovesick and we're craving to be back into nature and to, and to have which plants will alleviate a fever, which ones will take away inflammation, the chamomile and the calendula and all these different plants that we've been using for thousands of years to heal. Now we've got some for-profit pill company making us sick and giving me ulcers so this guy can have a few houses in a Bentley and fly a private jet. And the whole world's gone mad. So we got to return back to nature for sure. Absolutely. I could not agree more. Now, one question we love to ask all of our guests is if you could have tea with anyone, let's say herbal tea, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Oh, what a great question. You know what? There's two things. You know, I would say for someone dead, if because then it's like so cool, you can learn so much and you can answer so many questions in of humanity, maybe like Moses, but maybe if you do it with someone alive who's powerful, you could impact the way they think and shift the future of the world. So I'd probably look for the most powerful person alive today, sit with him and do it with him and to try to convince him of certain things that we could implement to save the planet, you know, and that comes down to like, probably like guys like Elon Musk or Kanye West, you know, probably like one of those two, if they woke up and got all supercharged spirituality, they could help lead the free world. Absolutely. That's a great answer. I like that you said that you'd go for the most powerful person, most influential person in society to try to influence them in a positive way. I haven't heard that before. I like the way you think. I'm on a mission, my brother. (laughs) Yes, for sure. Now, for anyone out there who wants to learn more about your work, learn more about Trippy, where are the best places to reach you at? Cool. I appreciate that. Most of my content I, I produce on Instagram at Rabbi Harry. And on my Instagram bio is a link to my link tree, link tree Rabbi Harry which has trippy.bc website and some of my theories on the DMT and the Kabbalah. And if anyone was curious about my life story, it's at rabbiharry.com. That's it. Yeah, that's where I saw it. I'm in. So your full life story there. Very inspiring. It's a whole trip. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I learned a lot from this conversation and a lot from the work that you're doing. And I commend you for all the work that you're doing. I think you're clearly helping a lot of people and you're going to continue to help a lot of people. And I just want to thank you for for everything that you're doing for the world, all the positivity you're spreading. Um, It means a lot to me. And it looks like, I appreciate you saying it. It may seem like I'm a good guy, 
But at the end of the day, I'm just very selfish because all this stuff that I'm doing just makes me feel good. And that's really what I'm just, I'm here to feel good on this earth. And the real way to feel good is to do all these things for everyone else. And then you'll really feel good. So I'm not doing any of this for the awards or the high fives. I'm simply just doing it because I'm enjoying the ride. And I hope that everyone could find joy in giving and joy in sharing goodness and enjoy themselves while, while that's the most important thing. As I said before, enjoy yourself. Amen. I love it. Amen. Thanks for joining us on our episode with Rabbi Harry. Wow, that was such an eye-opening conversation. Rabbi Harry shared such great insight with us on how we can all better attain peace of mind and inner happiness. Rabbi Harry also opened our eyes to the potential benefits of psychedelics, and it sounds like plant medicine is going to become a larger conversation in the near future. As always, if you have any questions, please email us at podcast.drinkdowntoearth.com or get in touch with us on our Instagram at drinkdte. In the meantime, stay healthy and stay hydrated. Cheers. Now it's time for you to go out there and do at least one small thing to better your health today. Always choose to make your life a healthier, happier, and a more down-to-earth place. Until next time. Cheers to good health.